Now, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them forked tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with each other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in their own language. When they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others mocking said, they are full of new wine. Before I speak, let's pray. Father God, we pray that tonight, today, that our hearts will be receptive to the message, that you will point us towards Jesus through your spirit today. Lord, I pray as I speak, that be not me, but be you that they hear. I pray for all our hearts to be convicted, urged, and encouraged today. And for those of you who don't know Jesus, we pray that you will come to him. And for those of you who do, we pray that we may love him more. Amen. So, Acts. Well, according to John MacArthur, the book of Acts is the first work of the church ever penned. And according to Wenham and Walton, it tells the story and development and growth of the church, growing geographically from Jerusalem to Rome and ethnically, from Jews to gradually the Gentiles. It's the longest book of the New Testament and is focusing on telling what God did to take the message of Jesus to the then known world the book of Acts. And as we, you heard this chapter, you might be thinking, oh, Pentecost, tongues of fire, the Holy Spirit. And some of us might be in different camps today. We might think, yes, the Holy Spirit does this and loads more today. And some of us might be going, oh, I don't know if I believe that. Well, today, that's not the focus. It's very easy to get caught up with the dramatic signs and wonders of the Spirit. But American pastor Matt Chandler says, if we focus so much on these, we will miss the point of Acts. We can get so focused that we miss the point of Acts. Instead, Acts 1.8 should be the mission mantra of the church. If you just want to briefly flick just a page previously to 1.8, Jesus says to his disciples before he's taken up into heaven, 
but you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. To be witnesses. The power from on high, from the Holy Spirit, is so you can be witnesses, first locally, then regionally, and then globally. So we should be looking today at the role of the Spirit in terms of empowering and leading the church towards what is known as the Missio Dei, the mission of God, for the church to be sent in global mission for the glory of God. But maybe we're thinking, mission, why bother with it? Don't we already do mission? Don't we do a lot of it? After all, isn't it in our name, Sunbridge Road Mission Church? And we already send people, don't we? Isn't that enough? Well, mission needs to be understood as being deprived from the very nature of God himself, says theologian Bosch. God is a missionary God, a God who sends, and a missional God, one who is mission-focused and set on mission, which is to reach and redeem the nations out of love and for his glory. And this is all from the theology from the Missio Dei, God's mission or the mission of God. You're going to hear this term a lot. So, Missio Dei, God's mission, or the mission of God. Because if we think that mission starts from the church, then we're going to miss the deep richness of what the Bible teaches as the very missional heart of God for the nations. So, we need to be clear the mission of God does not start from the church although the church is indeed an important part of it. The church is grafted into the mission of God, but it does not originate from the church. It originates from God. The concept does not start at the Great Commission, which is often used as the first text of mission, but it starts way before that and is woven throughout all of Scripture. So what we're going to do before we dive into chapter 2, and we will, we're going to have a brief overview of mission in the Bible. So where do you think we're going to start? In the Old Testament. And where in the Old Testament? The very first book. If you'd like to turn to the book of Genesis, chapter 12. Let's give you time to look at Genesis chapter 12. Here's what's happened so far. God has made man, but man has fallen. Man has disobeyed and rebelled against God. And time after time, man has failed. You have people, great people like Noah, but again, he also failed. And so, what's going to happen? We have now nations in the world, but how are they going to come back to God? How are things going to be restored? In chapter 3, God says there'll be a serpent crusher who will restore everything. And then look at me, look at me, not look at me, sorry, look with me. Uh, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. It says this. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your household. 
and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. I'll say that last line again. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That is the missio dei, the mission of God. That all nations will be blessed through Abraham. Through, as we read later on, the seed of Abraham. And this is confirmed in Genesis 18.18 and 22.18 and later on that all nations will be blessed through the seed of Abraham. So the Great Commission doesn't start at Matthew, it starts way before in Genesis, right at the beginning. Well, let's turn to Luke 24, the end of Luke. And this is important that we do turn to Luke because Luke also wrote Acts. So if you like, Acts is volume two. And Luke is volume one. And at the very end of Luke, in chapter 24, verse 45, he says this. Sorry, verse 44. Luke 24, 44. Jesus said to them, the disciples, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer, mean his death, and rise from the dead on the third day, mean his resurrection, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high, which is where we are in Acts 1.8. So throughout the Old Testament, the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, it talks about the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins for all nations will be preached in the name of Jesus. This is not a new idea in the Great Commission. This is something that's been in the very missional heart of God throughout all of Scripture. I'm going to turn very briefly to Galatians 3.8. You don't need to turn to it, but you can if you want to. And it says, this is from St. Paul, the Scriptures foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham all nations we blessed through you. The apostles certainly had the idea that God's mission started way back in the Old Testament. And then finally, our final scripture. You guys have been doing really well so far. The final book of the Bible, Revelation. The book sometimes we're too scared to touch, but it's actually amazing. Go to Revelation 5, 5 verse 9. verse 9. This is all about St. John having a vision of the future, having a vision of what's going to happen. 
And you've got these elders going towards the lamb, who is Jesus. And they say this. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Say it again. With your blood, you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and tribe and people and nation. You see, the missional heart of God is for the nations. Not just one nation, all nations. And then finally, we're still in Revelation. Chapter 7, verse 9 and 10. So we've been seeing the missional heart of God, what God is willing to do for Jesus to die and purchase men of all nations. We're seeing that it's at the very heart of God from the very beginning. But this, this passage is the end game. This is the end game of what God is desiring in his mission. Verse 9 and 10 of chapter 7 of Revelation says this. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. God's mission is to bring people from all parts of the world, all people groups, all tribes, all languages, all nations, to become one people, to worship him and to live with him forever. This is the mission of God. And so it doesn't start at the church. It starts with God. So Lindsey Brown says this, Why bother with mission? The answer permeates the whole of the Bible. If we're uninterested in mission, we're in fact unbiblical Christians. For our God is a missionary God. The Old Testament, the Gospels, the book of Acts, the epistles, which are Paul's letters, and the book of Revelation are all four references of God's love for the whole world. And this is essential because at a time when pluralism and relativism is ripe and rampant, it's very important to know that mission is an essential part of the Christian faith, of the church, and of the gospel because it's in the heart of God. So let's now go back into Acts 2. Back into Acts 2. Verses 1 to 13. And as we do that, we need to remember that the Missio Die, or the mission of God, has the God the Father sending his Son. We know that because he sends his Son Jesus to die for us on the cross. But also God the Father and God the Son sending the Spirit. And so we see that in Acts 2. So what happens when the Holy Spirit does finally come? Yes, we see tongues of fire and a strong wind. But interesting, what happens is they begin to speak different languages. They're speaking in tongues, different languages. And you think, ooh, 
Well, this could be useful, couldn't it? How useful would this gift be to pass my French exam? How useful would this be when I go on holiday and shortcuts having to learn the local language? I'll never be ripped off. All the pe- hear the people at the back of the bus. I knew they always were saying that about me. No. That's not what the purpose of this is. Notice how many places the people are coming from. If you look in verse 8, all the way to verse 11, it mentions place after place, people group after people group, both Jewish and non-Jews, those who had converted to Judaism. The starting display of sound attracts Jews from all across the Mediterranean and Near East who are visiting. Why? To hear the gospel. The desire of the Holy Spirit is so the, wit- the nations can be witnessed to. And the nations in this passage are already here at Jerusalem. It's almost like the Spirit is bursting, wanting to burst down and go, I don't want to stay in Jerusalem. I want to go to the ends of the earth so that Jesus would be glorified. We know in Acts 1.8, Jesus says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. Well, here, Jerusalem seems very multicultural, multinational. And what do you think is going to happen when they all are hearing this message? When Peter speaks after gaining their attention, it says later in chapter 2, 3,000 believe this message. Now, how many are local? We hear from Judea in verse 9. But the rest are from different places. How many are visiting who are going to go back to their own countries? How many of them are going to go back to their own Jewish communities and go, have you heard about this Jesus? Have you heard the gospel? Let me tell you what happened. And it all started from these apostles, from these disciples, speaking different languages, getting their attention, and then speaking the truth of the gospel, the truth of who Jesus is. And we later see that this message bears fruits because they're cut to the core of their hearts. But what's more important that they speak in tongues is that boldness and that faithfulness to be witnesses to the nations. Peter, who only a few chapters ago, when a little servant girl was like, aren't you the one who was with Jesus? Go, no, not me. And here, he is speaking to thousands of people saying, let me tell you about Jesus. And not caring what they'll say about him, not caring about their response. We may not have the language skills of the apostles. I know I certainly don't. I can barely speak English half the time, being half American, half British. I tried learning Arabic when I was Middle East. I could say a few words, and then after about 10 seconds, you can pretty much tell I can't speak anything. But... 
It's good that it's not based on language skills, but it's on the desire of the Holy Spirit. The missional spirit has not changed since 2,000 years ago. To reach out and make disciples and witnesses of Christ. You know, the disciples were Galileans. And you see here in verse 7, the people are amazed. Are not all these people who are speaking Galileans? Ugh. They are working class people. They're northerners. How can they be this educated? They're not educated. And yet, these working class northerners started the church. The elite were gobsmacked, speechless. How can this be? How could they know my language and my dialect with their rough speaking language? No. Didn't matter about that. Didn't matter they were from the north. Didn't matter they were rough speaking. Didn't matter that they were working class. What matters was they were following the desires of the spirit. And the spirit desires will not be left unfulfilled. Because the spirit gave them boldness and desire for witness and enabled and empowered the early church to take part in the missional heart of God as a center to reach the nations. And so as we talked about the mission of God, the Missio Dei, we talked about the Father sending the Son and the Father and Son sending the Spirit. But there's one more part of this theology. And that's the missional God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit send the church. The Spirit's role is to empower and lead the church into witness, to convict the world, but to witness so that people will glorify Christ. And so it's really important that our mission has no life of its own. It's only in the hands of the sending God. Can it truly be called mission? Because the missionary initiative doesn't come from Sunbridge, It doesn't come from your pastors. It comes from God alone. And so it's not the church that has a mission of salvation to fulfill the world. It is the mission of the Son and the Spirit through the Father that includes the church. And this means that the church is not the sender. It is the sent. God is the sender. And we are the sent. Listen to what Lindsey Brown says. You want to know who Lindsey Brown is? He was the director of IFES, which was the International Fellowship of Evangelical Students, also a Welshman. And he says this, often cross-cultural mission is relegated to a church committee. Yet in the Acts of the Apostles, the whole church was mission-orientated. And so we can hear much about the gift of tongues of the Apostles in Acts 2, But the primary reason for this gift was so people could hear the gospel in their own language. The Holy Spirit came at Pentecost to help Christians fulfill their mission. And through the book of Acts, the missionary spirit creates a missionary people to go on a missionary adventure, beginning with Jerusalem, then on to Rome, the capital of the world at that time. So, before we conclude, though, 
we need to look at the final part of our passage. Look at verse 12 and 13. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they had had too much wine. Faithful witnessing following the mission of the Spirit and of our missional God, to be honest, is costly. We should expect that. After all, Peter then talks to these people, you have crucified Jesus. We should not expect always a positive reception. There will be people who are unsure, confused, and there will be people who will mock and be hostile. Well, let them mock. Let them be hostile. Because the gospel is true. The heart of the missional God will not be denied. And there will be different responses, but our commission is to be obedient to the missional heart of God. So, in Acts 2, we can clearly see the missional heart of the missional God for the nations. Although it first speaks about the Jewish people, it's a foreshadow of what's going to happen in Acts. First for the Jews, then for the Gentiles. But have we grasped the priorities of this missional God? Well, there's a famous story of a preacher in Toronto called Oswald Smith. And he arrived as a young preacher to a dying church. On his first Sunday, guess what he preached about? Mission. Twice. He preached about mission. First in the morning, then in the evening. The next. The midweek prayer meeting. What do you talk about? Mission. What do you talk about next time? Mission. And again, mission. Eventually, one of the elderly ladies plucked up enough courage to talk to him. Mr. Smith, she says, you are talking about mission, about going to the very ends of the earth. But we are so few in number. He replied, Sister, if we do not have enough conviction to desire to proclaim this message to the ends of the earth, our church will die. And the church listened to that message and they became bigger and stronger, supporting several hundred missionaries. Isn't that a great challenge? Not to become huge and to be able to support several hundred missionaries, although that's great but it's to be faithful to the missional heart of God. And that is to reach the nations which are desperately lost. Do we have the conviction to share this message and this God to the ends of the earth? Because the very ends of the earth have come to our very doorstep, desperate, lost, and in need of knowing who the Savior is. But this is not an optional extra. This is the very DNA of the missional church. There is a role for all of us in fulfilling the great commission to make disciples of all nations. And Lindsey Brown says this, all believers must be engaged in worldwide mission because of the God we worship. He, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, is a missionary God who has a missionary vision and creates a missionary church 
sending it out into a needy world. Because one of us, sorry, not one of us, this country used to be a nation that did not know the gospel. It was only through people that came as missionaries to preach the word, to be led by the Spirit, did this country hear the, hear the gospel. And so if you've heard the gospel, you, are, you have been successfully part of this great heritage of people who have faithfully told you about the gospel. And so we must continue as part of that great lineage. So, let's finish. What is the state of your heart in regard of the mission of God and mission to the nations? Is it cold and horrifically indifferent? Is it swimming in lukewarm interest? Or is it hot with desire and passion for this God? Often we can go, yeah, yeah, I'm good. I'll be honest, my own heart too often is cold and lukewarm when it should be hot. And John Piper says this, where the passion for God is weak, so will zeal for missions. And Andrew Murray, not the tennis player, but the theologian says this, there's a lack of heart. The enthusiasm for the kingdom is missing because there's, no, there's so little enthusiasm for its king. That's very powerful and convicting, isn't it? I know when I first read that, it hit me right in here. So, where are we? If we are feeling, actually my heart is cold or lukewarm about the mission of God and mission, we must repent and pray. We need to regain passion and enthusiasm for the king of the nations and his heart. And to do that, we must remember that God's missional heart for us has never faltered in its beat. In his passion, desire for the nations to be redeemed, he sent his son Jesus to save us by being slain on the cross. And as we read in Revelation 5, paying the price with his blood so he might purchase the nations. We must pray that we'll remember the cross and be witnesses to the nations because our triune God, the Father who initiates this mission, the Son who redeems us, and, our spirit, and the Spirit who propels us is mission-orientated and mission-focused. But if you do not have the Holy Spirit, if this is all foreign to you, then you need Jesus. Simple. There's no other way around it. You are lost, and as Peter mentions in later on in this chapter, at the end of chapter 2, you need to be saved from this corrupt generation and even your corrupt heart. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, Jew or Gentile, whatever country you're from, cultural background, religious background, you will be saved if you call on the name of the Lord today. And you become, as we looked at Revelation 7, part of the great multitude of all nations becoming one people, praising God, worshipping him, and living forever with him. So, let us now bow our heads and pray. Father God, we thank you that you are a missional God. 
you sent your son to die and save us when we did not deserve it. Instead of abandoning the nations, your mission and your heart has been to redeem the nations for all people to come and be saved. Lord, we pray for our own hearts, Lord. Forgive us having cold and lukewarm hearts for not having priorities as your priorities, for not reflecting your heart well. Lord, help us to remember the cross, remember what you've done for us and your heart and passion. Lord, for those of us who are not knowing you, help us now to come to you. Amen.